Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Our focus is just one verse today, but I'm going to read this entire passage that we have looked at for the last three weeks. We will look at it for at least one more week. The title of this message or this series within the series of the book of First Thessalonians is uh, becoming a healthy church, how do we do that? Well, the answer is by becoming healthy individual followers of Christ. And the one verse that we're going to look at today, there will be a little bit of a change. We won't get to the last two things in the, uh, the worship guide, but that's okay. We're going to step back and take a look at this, and uh, hopefully it'll be more than informational, it'll be inspirational, and I mean that in the most spiritual sense of the word. So, we're going to begin with verse 12, all right? Read all the way through 22, but I do want you to look down at verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. And the obvious question is, how do you not quench the Spirit? It's all found here. So, we start with this, we will quench the Spirit, if we don't do the first admonition that we saw several weeks ago. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Another way not to quench the Holy Spirit is to be involved in ministry. Verse 14, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See to it that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And then that third bracket that we looked at last week, we will quench the Spirit if we do not rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for all of this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then we'll end, and we'll look forward to next week for this. Do not quench the Holy Spirit, and we will quench Him if we despise prophecies, if we are not discerning and we fail to test everything. If we fail to hold fast to what is good, we will quench Him, and if we have fail to abstain from every form of evil. The Spirit in us will be quenched. Father, I thank you now for this brief study on the Holy Spirit, very, very specific on how we might live in such a way that there is, um, that there is joy and there is a, a sense of peace and purpose and, and pursuit of those things that please you ultimately. I know, Lord, I speak for myself and every born-again believer in this room, we desire to not quench the spirit that you have put within us. So help us to learn about that and how not to do it and how to honor you in all that we do. And help us now as we study. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
This is a big subject. We preached on this. I preached at least one sermon on this uh, a while back when we were studying through the Apostles' Creed. And so I'm not going to go back and rehash all of that. I'm not going to do a lot of the extensive definitions of the Holy Spirit and His work, but we are going to try our best to be very, very specific about what is spoken of here, not quenching the Holy Spirit. Let me start by reading. I, I, I know that uh, when we get into a subject like this, there are many different experiences that are out there. Uh, by the way, my stand is that unless it's absolutely, obviously unbiblical, I never try to argue someone out of an experience that they've had. It's really futile. But what we do try to do, and we'll discover more about this next week, about being discerning, we try to match those experiences by God's Word. And so I want you to listen to this. This is a testimony from a saint from another day. Now, he is in evangelical circles somewhat controversial. There are some people who love him and his writings and what he did, and there are some who, well, not so much. He was a saint of the late 1800s, Charles Granderson Finney, was used in revival, and after he became a Christian, he relates in his memoirs about his experience, sub, uh, this is after post-salvation, uh, his experience with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to listen to it very carefully. What I'm trying to do is to ask you to be discerning. I did a quick underlining. I found 17 different statements that at least for me are at the least questionable in terms of comparing with God's Word, and some of them are really not helpful at all. They will lead you down a path that will not be constructive for you as you deal with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of Christ who lives in you. But just listen and see if maybe you can hear some of the things that I'm, that, that I'm talking about in his testimony. He says, but as I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. Without any expectation of it, without ever having thought in my mind that there was any such thing for me, without my recollection that I had ever heard the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Ghost descended on me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love, for I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. I do not know, but I should say I literally bellowed out in the unutterable gushings of my heart. 
The waves came over me and over me, one after the other, until I recollect I cried out, if I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear any more, yet I had no fear of death. How long I continued in this state with this baptism continuing to roll over me and go through me, I do not know. But I know it was late in the evening, and when a member of my choir, for I was the leader of the choir, came into the office to see me in this state of loud weeping, he said to me, Mr. Finney, what ails you? I could make him no answer for some time. Then he said, are you in pain? I gathered up myself as best I could and replied, no, but I'm so happy that I cannot live. He turned and left the office and in a few minutes returned with one of the elders of the church whose shop was near, nearly across the way from our office. This elder was a very serious man and in my presence had been very watchful and I had scarcely ever seen him laugh. When he came in, I was very much in the state of which I was when the young man went out to call him. He asked me how I felt and I began to tell him. Instead of saying anything, he fell into a most spasmodic laughter. It seemed as if it was impossible for him to keep from laughing from the very bottom of his heart. What do you think? At the very minimum, you would say, wow. That's an incredible experience. Have, have any of you in your Christian life ever wanted to have, maybe not exactly like this, but an experience of something touching this? And yet throughout your life, pray and read your Bible and go to church and maybe and go to special meetings, maybe a youth retreat. Maybe a special camp meeting. Maybe a special speaker is in town. And you're looking for more. The majority of the guys that I've talked to, men and women, I, I had a guy express it to me like this, and I thought, wow, you're reading my mail. He said, Marty, I hear stories like that, and the Lord has me on the blue-collar plan. He was basically saying, I've never experienced anything like that. I know that when in my own life I had a turnaround in college and I, I was reading the Bible and I was studying, I was meeting with people, I was going to church. I just have to tell you, I, I wanted more, okay? And that, that's something that's very, very typical of some of the things that I hear from, from people. I, I wanted more. I wasn't sure what the more meant, but I knew one thing. I wanted power. I wanted power to be able to overcome sins. I wasn't really looking for an experience per se. I wanted the power to be able to overcome sins that had beset me and all of the rest. And so I started meeting with a group of people that told me that I could have that power if I just did certain things. And so I did. And I never really felt or saw the Holy Spirit in my life, in my experience, quote, show up. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm using some words that I'm going to come back to, like it did 
with Mr. Finney. I said a minute ago, this is not a full teaching on the Holy Spirit. Remember, just a couple of basic things. The Holy Spirit is God, all right? He's not a force. He's not an energy. He's not an agent from God. He is a person, the third person of the Trinity. This is difficult, but this is thoroughly biblical. And we receive, did you notice one of the first things that Mr. Finney said? We receive the Holy Spirit, listen to this, and those of you who are students, those of you who are younger, and you're hearing this, and at least in some part it's registering, when you became a follower of Jesus Christ, the second that you believed in Jesus, you received the Holy Spirit at salvation. That's why Paul, in traveling through the back country, country in in Ephesus, and he was encountering various kinds of individuals, and he didn't know what their spiritual condition was. He met a group of people that looked like they might have been Christians, and he asked this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Here's another question. When you receive the Holy Spirit, remember he's a person, how much of him did you get? All of Him. Now, the reason, the reason that I stopped here and I'm, I'm giving just a little snippet of truth about the Holy Spirit, because let's go back to that group that I was involved in. Maybe they were just misinformed about what their leaders taught. Maybe they weren't espousing the doctrine of their group. But here are some of the things that they in no doubt said to me, that Marty, you did get the Holy Spirit. Some will say that you didn't until a certain experience called the baptism that Mr. Finney was talking about, but they would say, Marty, yeah, yeah, you got the Holy Spirit, you just didn't get all of Him. And so therefore, here's what you need to get all of Him, you have to have a second work or a second blessing. Now, why was that appealing to me at that point in my life, young just really beginning to grow in the Lord. Why was that appealing? I was looking for more, but what was the the promise that I I was hearing? Maybe they didn't say it. Do you hear what I'm trying to do? I'm not trying to put anybody down. I'm just trying to say this is is some of the, 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 the things that we will hear out there even from a long time ago. Here's what I was looking for. I was looking as a true believer for sanctification. I wanted to be holy. Every believer does. If you're a believer and you do not want, if you're a professing Christian, let me rephrase that back up, and you do not want to be holy, you need to question whether or not you're truly a follower of Christ. I wanted sanctification, and here's what this seemed to promise. I think it does promise it. It's a false promise. It offered me a zap. Did you hear what I said? I wanted to be zapped. Not for the experience, but so that I could go from here to here. In a moment. Sanctification. I'm holy. I'm no longer dogged by these sins that... I mean, all the time, so easily entangled me. 
That's just not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches a progressive revelation where you are working out your salvation, even with a sense of fear and trembling, I hope. God is at work within you. He's working for His good pleasure, but for your good. Now, so I studied, I stepped back, and here's what I discovered. I discovered that between the promises that I saw and the meetings that I was going to, and there was a great deal of life and energy and all that kind of thing, and people were apparently having some kind of an experience. But I observed, because I was friends with some of those people during the week, and I observed they really were no different than I was. The promise of healing, they were still sick. I, I, just, just like we are. And in a life of holiness, they still struggled with the same things. I talked to them. I knew that. And so there had to be something. Now, here, here is something I'm going to share with you. As I studied through the Scriptures in those early days, and I, I hope this is helpful. Probably all of you know it, but it helped me. I'm going to put together three Scriptures for you to show you. I just asked a minute ago, and a lot of you answered back, and you got the Sunday school answer. How much of the Holy Spirit did you get? All of him. What Scripture tells us that? Now, I want you to follow here because this is what the Bible teaches, if you're a believer, about the work that God has done in your life. The first one, John 1, 12. But to everyone, all who received him, their, their salvation... Everybody in this room who has received Jesus Christ, you, you have repented of your sins, you've turned to Christ, to them, to whom? Come on, interactive a little bit. To those who receive Christ. Any special thing? No. Because you've received Christ, He gave the right to become children of God. Boy, that is an incredible promise. Now, piggyback that with this one out of Galatians 4, 6. Because of no other criteria other than you are a child of God, because you're sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son. He is a person. He's not divided up. Of His Son into our hearts. Now, I didn't put in the next part, but I love it crying, Abba, Father. Boy, there's that relational, personal, loving relationship when we get the Spirit. Now, follow. Are you following? Because no special zap, but because you received Christ and you became a child of God, no matter what your age, you received the Holy Spirit. You got all of Him. Wow. God in you. For in Him. Now, in whom? Careful here, let's follow. He has sent forth the Spirit of His Son. The Holy Spirit is called a lot of different names. He's the Spirit of God. He is the Spirit of Christ. So the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, has resided in you. I was just meditating on this this morning, and I, 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 couldn't, I really couldn't fathom it. I have to go back and think about it, and maybe you guys were you're better minds than mine. You can figure it out. But here's what I know, even though I haven't felt it or experienced it, that in Him, in Jesus Christ, He's who lives in me, the Spirit of the Son, Galatians 4, 6, okay? In Him, in Christ, 
dwells all the fullness of deity in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. And I found out that because the Spirit of God lives in me, I don't have to have a second or a third experience. He already lives in me. It's a mystery. But it's the truth. You have, every one of you, now, you again, work out your salvation, what he's done in you, but you have the completeness of God dwelling in you through the Holy Spirit of his Son. Now, that should make you, maybe not do like what Finney did, but it might just lift your spirits a little bit. Even Baptists can, you know, maybe get happy about what the Holy Spirit is doing. And yet, yeah, really. Okay, let's look at another. This is from a different angle. And I want you to see the two things that are working here. This is just basic teaching on the Holy Spirit without defining who He is and all the rest of that. But, but this is something that we need desperately to see. And let me just make a statement. There's one baptism and there are many fillings. One of the big, big, big ways that Mr. Finney got it wrong was subsequent baptisms. Either he was saved and this was something else, or he was not saved and he was saved at that moment. Because the moment you are saved, according to the Bible, not according to anyone's experience. See, again, I'm not trying to talk anyone out of an experience. I'm just saying, does it match the Scripture? And second, should it be norm for the rest of people? No, not unless it's scriptural. For by one Spirit we were all plunged, baptized, immersed into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. That's in each one and every one and all of us. We were put into the body of Christ, and He was put into us. How much of Him from the previous? All of Him. Now, here's what we're to do with that. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't give yourselves to outside influences that are cheap substitutes. Getting drunk with wine, boy, you can get happy. Mary, before you get sick, <laughs> come get drunk. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, right. I've seen the aftermath of that. So don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. It's excess. It, it's waste. But be filled continually with the Spirit. One baptism, many fillings. And that's why we don't want to fall into the ditch. Now, one last thing, and then we're going to talk about what it looks like to quench the Holy Spirit. One more thing. Are you with me? Kind of? Okay, all right. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Now, watch what he's saying here, because I'm going to ask a very important question in a minute. Is this command, don't quench the Holy Spirit, for individual Christians or for the church? Don't answer. Wait, wait, okay. Here's what Paul says about you. And he's speaking, I know there are plurals in this, but the context right here shows that he's speaking to every one of you. I think that pretty much everyone that I know in here, you are professing Christians. And, and I, I think from what I know of you, you are true Christians. So if you're true Christians, then guess what? This goes back to the Old Testament imagery of the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
where God would come and he would reside and then he would lift and all the rest of that. This is different. He says now, look at this, New Testament sense, you, 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 you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. Now, you take those other verses that we've talked about, that's mind-blowing. Now, I was, I was going to leave this one out, but I decided to go ahead and put uh, the, the next part in because there's a reminder of sanctification, continual sanctification, not instant sanctification. You are not your own. Why? Because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. You're owned by God. What a great thing, for you were bought with a price. So, what's the upshot? Work out your salvation. Glorify God in your body right now. That includes your mind, your heart, what's going on. That includes when you walk out the door. That includes tomorrow. That process of working out your salvation. Okay. Two ways we can fall into the ditch. and We don't want to do that. Um, there are two extremes that people go into. Um, all right. We're going to try to correct that. Here's the first extreme. People focusing on the Holy Spirit who really, when he came, and his work is not to focus on himself, but to focus on Jesus. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, make sure that whoever you're around and they want to talk about the Holy Spirit, let's, let's make sure that we get the focus right. Let me tell you a story, and I was telling some stories in the Membership Matters class. It's amazing that when you live long enough, you have all of these experiences that become really good sermon illustrations. In El Paso, Texas young pastor, my first pastorate. I was somewhere, I don't even know where, downtown, in an office building, and got on an elevator, and a woman got on with me. And I, I don't know exactly how the conversation started. I do not remember that. I just remember that very quickly, we were talking about the Lord and how good the Lord was. And, and we, were, we were both speaking positively and excitedly about the Lord. And this woman said something that kind of, it, it, you know, when somebody says something, you're not expecting it, it kind of catches you off guard. She said these words, I am not kidding you, okay, I'm not making this up. She said, because she, she saw that I was excited about Jesus, she said, I'll bet you speak in tongues. I was faced with a dilemma because I have a past with this. So I, I, I knew some things about her right then. And I really wanted to minister her. And, and I think, you know, there is, while no new revelation, there's illumination. I think sometimes the Holy Spirit will, will grant you what to say from His Word. And I knew that if I said, yes, I speak in tongues, that she would think the only reason I'm excited about Jesus is because I speak in tongues. That's not true. And if I said, no, I don't speak in tongues, 
then she would probably just discount everything I said. Which might have also been true. But here's what, I, here, here's what I said to her. I said, you know what? Let's not just talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to shine the spotlight on Jesus. And that would be like praising the fork and the knife instead of the steak that you're eating. And she looked at me and she said, oh, I needed that. So we have to be careful. Don't fall into the ditch on the side where we just focus on the Holy Spirit. But here's the other side, and this is our message for today. We don't want to forget or ignore His ministry in us and in our church. So, look at verse 19. You see it there on your outline? Do not suppress or smother. That's basically what it means to quench the Holy Spirit's work in you or in the church. Let me put it in uh, other words. Don't make the Holy Spirit sad. He lives in you. Don't make Him sad. And don't put out His fire. Now, individual or church? What's, what's Paul talking about there? All right, follow me. I know you are. A, a caution and a correction. I've been giving several of those throughout. From the moment of your spiritual birth, God put His Holy Spirit in you. We said that. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. Now, let me ask a very, very important question. Does the Holy Spirit dwell in inanimate objects? Let me give you an example. Does the Holy Spirit dwell in a rock? It's okay to answer no. At least there's no indication. Now, yeah, wait, wait, wait. but pastor says the rocks will cry out. He's using a word picture there. Uh, don't go there. Does the Holy Spirit dwell in this lectern? It's a good, solid. Does, this Holy, does the Holy Spirit dwell in this paper book called a Bible? Does the Holy Spirit dwell in these notes? Does the Holy Spirit dwell in a building? That's the answer. It's not only obvious, it's also biblical. So just be careful. A song from the past, I think it's still a favorite at Benny Hinn meetings. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. And we hear prayers sometimes. Come, Holy Spirit, into this place. And there are churches, big churches, mega churches that have attracted huge, huge followings. Their music is all over the place. And they would take the view that indeed the Holy Spirit comes into the place sometimes through gold dust falling in angel feathers. Be very, very careful. We're going to talk about discernment next week. And that's one of the things. Remember, what is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Your body. 
And while you can never, listen to this, okay, and this needs to be said. The Holy Spirit lives in your body. You can never do anything to make him forsake you or leave you. All right? You just need to know that. If you're a Christian, you can never do anything to make him forsake you or leave you. But you can and you do, and I do, things that quench and grieve him, that make him sad, and that put out his fire. Let me, let me just give you a couple of illustrations from Scripture. Do you remember a guy by the name of Achan? Children of Israel were told to go in and capture Jericho, and they did, and then they were told to go out and get Ai, and don't take too many people. We got this in the bag, uh, and I'm telling you, they got, they, they got whooped. So they went back and they found there was one guy, one guy who had taken some of the, 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 the stuff, the spoil for himself. And do you know what? He was the one who did it, but all of Israel. All of Israel was impacted by that. Let's jump to the New Testament. A couple of other illustrations. 1 Corinthians 5 and 11. That was a church that had more than its share of challenges. Immorality immorality, one guy in the church, maybe there were more, but immorality was causing, and you remember what Paul said about that immorality? Leaven, just one little part of leaven, leavens the whole lump. The Lord's Supper, there were several people that were not observing the Lord's Supper in the proper way, and there were people in the church that were dying. Hebrews tells us, don't let a root of bitterness. Do you realize that, you know, if, if you hold on to a root of bitterness, it's not just impacting you. The church is not bitter, but it will spread out, according to the writer of Hebrews, and defile many. And I could just go on and on and on. And I want you to look at this because these two, these two verses go together. Same concept, a little bit different nuance of word. Grieve is a love word. Okay? You can grieve the Holy Spirit of God because there's a love relationship. And you can quench the Holy Spirit. You can put out His fire. One more thing that I, I just I was thinking about this. You check me out on this, okay? Tell me if I'm off base. When we've got that relationship and we know that the Lord in the person of the Holy Spirit, because we have disobeyed. And, and by the way, if you look back at that 1 Corinthians passage, Paul indicates that that person who was sinning against God should have felt a sense of, I'm going to say it, shame. And I'm not, I'm not talking about going back to your past and letting the devil accuse you and attack you and keep you in a cycle of shame when that's been forgiven. I'm talking about that when we sin against God, no matter if we think it's big or it's small, we ought to have that twinge of shame because we have grieved the one that we love and we've quenched the fire. And potentially we put out the fire and grieve the Spirit 
if it rolls over into the life of the body of Christ for many other people. Here's the way it looks. If I act shamefully in my marriage to Jan, it doesn't mean that I'm no longer married to her, but there is a sense that I've caused her grief, that I've grieved her, and that I've put out the fire of our relationship. Does that make sense? So Paul's even going to pick up that theme a little bit later on. Second Thessalonians will be there, maybe before the Lord comes back. But look at this. this. This is going back to when Paul says, I want you to warn the unruly. I want you to warn those who are wayward. And he goes on into the same group of people and he says this, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him. Why? That he may be ashamed. He's quenching the spirit. He, he, he's grieving the spirit. Now this goes on. I love what Paul adds. Don't regard him as an enemy. He's a brother. Work with him so he can come back. Again, if you're truly born again, where is God's Spirit? In you. God's Holy Spirit has come to live in you. He is God. He has promised that you can never get him out. But he has also said from this passage of Scripture that you can put him out. Quench him as you would a fire. Grieve him as you would a best friend. And here's what I want to do. I, I just want to stop before we even go back and wrap up what the, the things that we've looked at the last couple of weeks. I, I, I just want you to ask yourself this question. Have you sensed a hindrance in your following of the Lord? I, I'm not accusing you of big sin. Have you sensed a hindrance you sensed kind of a more than just a pull, but a being prone to going back to worldliness, sins that entangle impurity. It could be a sign that you are quenching, grieving the Holy Spirit. I, I don't say that from my knowledge. And, and the, the, your, your best friend may not know, but you do. Well, Paul doesn't just tell us how we grieve and quench the Spirit. He does that, but we're going to come back, and before we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to say something very simple as to how we can take care of it. Look back. How do you quench the Holy Spirit? I, I said it before when I was reading. Go back to the leadership followership principle. You're going to quench the Holy Spirit, first of all, in this, in this context, if you don't recognize the leadership and followership principle. We talked about that, what, three weeks ago. That has to do in church, family, government, world, leaders, trusting that God is working through the leaders that He has set in place. And your elders, I want you to know, have been for a long time trying to navigate the current cultural concerns. I'm looking forward to the annual meeting where we can lay out some things, resources, other things that we've looked at. So just pray for us. And 
Don't quench the Spirit by not lining up with the leaders. By the way, that doesn't mean that there's no room for correction. And we appreciate whenever somebody comes for appeal or correction or even rebuke or discipline. Second thing, in this passage of Scripture, you'll quench the Holy Spirit if you don't recognize that you're called to ministry and you're empowered for it. Warning the wayward, encouraging the worried, strengthening the weak. I pray for our church, but I pray for other churches, and maybe this time with the whole pandemic can help us because we've had to cut down on programs. And I think it's true what I heard somebody say a long, long time ago about, and he was Landrum Level, president of New Orleans Baptist Seminary. I heard him say this about Baptist churches and their programs. He said, you know, you could take the Holy Spirit out of most Baptist churches and they wouldn't even know he was gone for six months because we've got the machinery oiled. Maybe there's a time that that's come to a screeching halt and we have to get back to that ministry. (coughs) And then the last thing, you will quench the Holy Spirit if you're not involved in rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. I'll tell you what, if I had my choice between the extraordinary miracles, manifestations that are sometimes touted to happen, and having a church that filled with people who rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. I know exactly which one I would pick. What's the answer to all of this? If you sense that in your heart you've been quenching the Spirit, it's the answer, it's the gospel answer to everything. It's very simple. Repent. Gospel repentance every day. If the Holy Spirit shows you something, repent. Thank Him for the gospel that has saved you and that continues to work his work in you.